share a word this morning, and uh, <clears throat> it's, uh, I don't really have a title for it, but if I was to put a title on it, well, there's, there's a couple titles, but the one title would be this, that uh, my scars are my testimony. That would, be a, that would be a title that I'd put on it. Uh, so if you're taking notes, I'm going to go through a lot of different scriptures and whatnot. You might want to write them down and then review them this week. Um, but uh, there's, there's a difference between wounds and scars, okay? Uh, a wound would be something that is, is um, a wound would be like a cut or a, uh, a hurt that is, you know, still a wound. It's open, it might, might need some care, it might need, um, you know, health care. It might need some, you know, cleaning and it might need some ointment and it might need some covering, some bandaging and that sort of thing. Uh, keep it covered at times, open it up at times. But the deal is if a wound isn't properly treated, it just remains a wound. And so that wound could be there. And, and uh, if you're in the healthcare field, you'd understand this. But so, unless there's proper wound care, uh, it can never be completely um, healed up. Whereas a scar is different in that a scar is, is, is what's re- what remains once a wound is healed. Okay, and so you could have a you could have a wound that could be very painful, but if treated properly, it becomes a scar. It heals up, and scar tissue forms, and that sort of thing. And so you can bear on your body the marks, physical marks of where wounds once were, but now that wound is healed, and so it's a scar. And so when I say my scars are my testimony, uh, what I'm getting across is that. When, when you get hurt in some way, whether it be, you know, not so much, we're going to read about Paul and some of the things that he went through, and I don't think we're necessarily going to go through every one of those things, but every one of us, I want to talk more particularly this morning about uh, scars and woundings internally, because no matter how long you've been in church or where you're at in life, you're always going to have to deal with woundings, you know? They're, they're just going to happen. It's just, it's, it's, it's life. Uh, and, and how we respond when we get wounded and how we respond to allow God to heal that wound will determine what the scar, you know, the outcome of the scar. And the scar can become a testimony because the scar, when you look at it, you go, yeah, that was the time when da 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 it's got a story. Every scar has a story. You know, and if I were to sit here today and poll like the crowd, many people you'd be like, "Yeah, I've got some scars." You know, this is what this happened here, and that happened there, and this happened here. And um, the deal is, scars aren't bad, but un- unattended wounds can be very destructive. Okay, and so anyway, we're going to look at this in Second Corinthians chapter eleven. Um, Paul's addressing the Corinthian church, and what he's doing is he's kind of bringing some correction. And a bit of a reproof to the church because um, he, things got set up and they were going well and all this kind of stuff. And then false apostles came in and false prophets came in, false teachers came in. And they started teaching a message that was contrary to what was initially invested in by Paul. So Paul brings a message of grace that, uh, you know, by faith you can enter in by grace, not through striving and works. But Jesus paid a price so that we could enter into freedom. And uh, these guys came along and they wanted to take them back into a tradition of striving and earning for their salvation. Okay, that was part of it. The other part of it was they would come in and they'd fleece the sheep. They'd come in and they'd, be, they, they'd just want the money and they'd, they'd, they'd actively pursue uh, gifts from the, from the church in Corinth. And so that's why Paul brags about it here somewhere in 11. He talks about it how, you know, when I came with the gospel, I, I, I brought it for free. And uh, the deal was he wasn't putting a burden on that Corinthian church, but yet 
uh, the Macedonians helped him bring the message, okay? And so there were people that would sow into ministry, and we know that he made tents as well at times, but the deal was he had people that would f- help finance his ministry, and yet these guys were coming in, and they were basically fleecing the sheep, wanting to get all this money from them, thinking that, you know, how sweet it is. You can serve me and give me all your money, and I'll be better off, but you may not be, but they wouldn't say that, right? So then Paul picks, up, picks it up in, uh, in verse number 20, and he talks about, he starts describing, you know, these people that were, called themselves apostles and prophets and teachers, that were starting to sway the Corinthian church away from the truth of the gospel of the kingdom. And what he does is he starts going through some of the things that he has in his life that bear the marks of someone who would be a true apostle. And so here's what he says, uh, verse number 20. For you tolerate it if anyone enslaves you, anyone devours you and takes advantage of you, anyone exalts himself, anyone hits you in the face. To my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison, but in whatever, respect to anyone, respect to any, respect to anyone else uh, is bold. I speak in foolishness. I am just as bold myself. And then he goes into this, this, uh, this list. He says, verse 22, Are they not Hebrews? So am I. Are they not Israelites? So am I. Are they not the descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they not servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so in far more labors, far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned with rocks. We need to clarify that in this day and age now in the legalization of marijuana, right? Okay, good. All right. That was supposed to be funny. Like, it was just kind of a bit of a funny thing there, you know? But he's saying, I was, once I was stoned, okay? Like, with, with stones, with rocks, okay? Good, good, good. All right. And then, and then he goes on, he said, um, I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, Um, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and exposure. Okay, just pause for a second there. Listen to this list. Like, just listen to it for a minute. Think about that, okay? And he's talking about his his apostleship, you know, his... his, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He's talking about what it means to be a, like a true man of God, right? And uh, he goes on this list of all these things. It's so funny because in the day and age when, you know, we believe in the restoration of the fivefold ministry, and uh, you, you meet people and, and some people that think it's so great, I want to be an apostle, but yet you read the list of things that he went through in his apostolic journey, and you're going, okay, well, maybe, maybe I could do without a few of those things, you know what I'm saying? But he's, he's laying out the legitimacy of who he is in God, okay? But then he goes on, he doesn't, he doesn't say that, he said, verse 28, apart from such external things, there is a daily pressure on me for the concern of the churches, who is weak without my being weak, who is led into sin without my intense concern. And then verse 30, he says this, I love this, this is really cool. If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. Now that's just kind of wild right there when you think about that. Especially in the day and age when 
Instagram is out there and everyone's, you know, looking at people's lives and it's always showing the, the best of their lives, right? It is quite funny. And I just encourage you not to get caught up into the whole social media thing of seeing how many likes you can get on a post or how many views you get on a, on a, on a post or anything like that. Because guess what? You have a love that is greater than any amount of human likes. And if you can walk in the revelation of I am loved and accepted in the beloved, I am his beloved and he is mine. His banner over me is love. If, if I can walk in that and be secure in that, I, I couldn't care less if somebody likes my picture. But then on the flip side of that too, the whole, the whole message in society today is a message of we want people to perceive that everything's really good, right? We want people to perceive that I'm strong and, and that things are good. And I get that. There's a faith confession in, in our walk with God that would say, I'm okay, we're okay, we're going to be okay, but not at the expense of not being real and honest with who we are and with other people, okay? So Paul's saying here, he's saying, all these things, these are great, but then he says this, he says, I will boast in my weakness, and then it goes on, what does it say after that? Verse 30, help me out somebody. Good. Okay. So just pause there for a second. We're going to pick up this thing a little bit later. But uh, in Galatians chapter 6, he also says this. He says, I bear on my body the scars that show I belong to Jesus. Notice that he, he didn't say, I bear on my body the wounds. He said, I bear on my scars. Because somewhere along the line, Paul, Paul sorted it out that all this stuff that he went through wasn't going to keep him from what he was called to. And so he went through all this stuff, and this was, he was talking about physical things here, all these physical things that he went through. He said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'll boast in that. I'll boast that I've been through that. But his boasting in his weakness wasn't wallowing in his sorrow. You know what I'm saying? There's a difference. There's a hard attitude there. And, uh, you know, above all, guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life, or all the issues of life. And so if you take Paul's woundings and Paul's scarrings and all that kind of stuff and apply them to us today, I think we can see a correlation here of what we do when we get hurt, when we get rejected, when we get wounded, when we fear, you know, fear creeps in and we have that temptation just to live in fear and come under that cloud of fear, anxiety, that kind of thing. I love the definition of anxiety uh, that, that I heard one time and I use it all the time. Anxiety is simply having more of, too much of tomorrow in your today. Isn't that good? It's like thinking about what might happen, what might happen, what could happen. Oh, no, this is, oh, no, oh, no, and having too much of that in your today. And so, so anyway, all right. Um, so there's a few things here. I, I, I wrote this down, and I, I don't know, maybe this would be good. We should probably tweet it out, Eric, or, or, or put it out on Instagram and see how many likes we get, okay? But here's a good one here. Uh, the pains I've endured are producing a glory that cannot be extinguished. The pains that I've endured are producing a glory that cannot be extinguished. 
God brings you through things, hurts and pains, and he doesn't want us to stay in a place of woundedness. He wants to heal us up so that we can have a scar that tells a story about what Jesus did and brought me through. So my scars then become my testimony. You want to, and so I can boast in that. I can boast in, man, I've been through this. Listen, I got through this thing. I, I felt so rejected when this happened. I felt hurt when that happened. But God dealt with my heart, and I put my trust in him, and I boast in that because in my weakness, he is made strong, and his grace is sufficient for me. So, but there's a choice. We can either stay in our woundedness, or we can allow the Lord to heal it up through some process, and then it becomes glory. He wants to put his glory on stuff, on our lives. Our lives are here. We're here to produce glory. We carry the glory, but our lives and our testimonies produce glory. And so, yeah, Paul's just such a great example of it. And then he says in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, if you flip over, if I don't know if it's the next page or not, but 2 Corinthians 12, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power, somebody say power, power. is perfected in weakness. So Paul figured this out and he said, most gladly, therefore, I will boast in my weaknesses so that, somebody say so that. Okay, let's, we need to camp there for a minute. You need to understand something. I will, I will gladly boast in my weaknesses. Okay, that was, we're getting there now. Ready? One more time. I will gladly boast in my weaknesses. Aha. And then what does it say? It says, so that the power of God may rest upon me. <laughs> Come on. So, so if, I, if I'm okay with my weaknesses and I'm, I'm, I'm vulnerable with my weaknesses so that his power can rest upon me. We always want, you know, who wants more power? Well, we all want more power, don't we? Well, there's a key here that Paul got. He said, if I want to have the power of God rest on me and I want to get through the pain so that I can see the glory, I need to be, first of all, real with myself, real with the Lord, and real with people. But not to stay in that pain, not to stay in that woundedness, but to allow God to bring healing inside so that outside can be manifest the power of God and the glory of God. It's about saying, uh, see, there's a difference between transparency and vulnerability. I used to actually hate the word vulner vulnerability. I was like, everyone was talking about it. I'm like, if I hear that word one more time, I'm just going to like puke, I think. I'm like, are you serious? Oh, we've got to be more vulnerable. We've got to be more vulnerable. And But I guess part of the reason was, a lot of people jump on phrases and jump on the bandwagon with certain things without knowing the true depth of what it really means. To be transparent means to be open. So I could, trans I could share transparently. I, I've, I've felt, uh, you know, to a fault sometimes that I've been a bit transparent, too transparent sometimes, you know. <laughs> share stories, share things, situations. But there's a difference between transparency and vulnerability because vulnerability means you're open and transparent with things, but you lay there to the point where you're actually exposing yourself to more hurt or you're exposing yourself to more pain. You know, you can look up the word vulnerability on your own in the Webster's or whatever you want. You can see different definitions, but where transparency is just being open about things and talking about things, uh, vulnerability is more about being open about, let's say, your weaknesses so you could be hurt again. You know, and uh, I think I think it would be so cool if we were at a place where um, our whole congregation would be like at the point where we're allowing the Lord to deal with issues of the heart and woundings and rejections and fears and all that kind of stuff so that 
the scar of what we went through becomes a testimony for somebody else so that they're going through something and we can say, hey, guess what? I have good news for you. You see this scar right here? It has a story. And here's the story behind the scar. I wasn't shipwrecked, but I was rejected and hurt. I, was, I felt abandoned. I felt like people were just, you know, leaving me to the wolves or whatever, whatever it may be, you see. And so there's this point where then that thing that you've been delivered from can be the answer for somebody else to bring healing in their life. So they don't have to walk wounded anymore. They can walk in freedom with a scar that also bears a testimony. Yeah. But let's not talk about that. Let's not talk about it. Don't talk about our scars. Don't talk about what we've been through. Let's just keep, come on, you guys. We've got it all together. Actually, I said two weeks ago how the deal was Paul talked about it, and he's like, man, I don't have it all figured out. I don't have it all together, but I do know this. I'm forgetting the things that are behind so I could press on to the prize that's called me upward. The reason he could forget about the things behind is because he dealt with that stuff, the junk in the trunk, so that he could step into what was ahead. You see what I'm saying? You'll understand and you'll know the true uh, uh, level of your healing when you stop looking in the rearview mirror all the time. I can talk about pains and hurts and that kind of thing that have been healed and it becomes a testimony. But if all I'm ever doing is looking in the rearview mirror saying, oh, I got that hurt there. I wonder if this person's going to treat me like the other person did when I opened up my heart and became vulnerable with them. You know? Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. So, it says he doesn't just mention his weakness. He says, I'm going to boast so that. It's interesting. <laughs> if you look at the life of the disciples, um, Jesus discipled his disciples by, exp by exposing them to impossible situations. Isn't that wild? He, he did that. You'd see that over and over again. It's like... Um, Okay, we need, we need to settle some things about peace. We need, to, we need to settle things like that. So what we'll do then is we'll go out on the, on, the, on the lake, on the sea, and we'll just let the storm rage. We'll just let her rip. So that the fishermen who are used to stormy weather are fearing for their very lives. And then Jesus is like, he's sleeping, right? You know, you know the story, right? So Jesus is asleep in the boat. <clears throat> they wake him up. Oh, we're perishing. Why don't, you, why don't you do something? And he gets up and he's like, well, actually, I don't think he was sleeping. I actually think, because if you look into that word a little more, he was, he was communing with the Father. He was in a place of, of um, uh, <laughs> some even would say he, he was in a, like a trance-like state, trance -like state, like he was, he was having this, this moment with the Father. And he came out of there, and Jesus said, well, he, so he spoke to it. Because we know that he carried something on the inside that was greater than the outside. And if we could get that revelation, we'd change this nation. <laughs> what we carry on the inside, I think I spoke on that a while ago. What we carry on the inside is far greater and more powerful than what we'll ever encounter on the outside. And so Jesus discipled his disciples by putting them in situations where they, they it was impossible, you know. You got 5,000 people and you got a little lunch kit, you know, with a few fish and some bread. We'll go ahead and feed them. What? <laughs> right? So it's just interesting. And yet so many times we get into situations that are difficult. And we're like, God, deliver me, deliver me, deliver me. And God's saying, disciple you, disciple you, disciple you. <laughs> so maybe sometimes the deliverance is actually the discipleship. I don't know. Just maybe. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> how about this one here? This is really actually cool. So... 
I'll just say this. I've got to try to stick to my notes today a little bit to help us unpack this. But um, multiplication comes when hearts are right. This is really cool, and I saw this just the other day. Multiplication comes when hearts are right. Healthy environments grow fruit, you know. I know that, I know that um, you know, we're not focused on we need to have so many people or this many or that many. But the bottom line is if my life is healthy, I'm going to produce fruit, Okay. Uh, if a church is healthy, it, it should be growing, you know. And uh, I believe that we at Catch the Fire are coming into a season. Actually, I think we're probably healthier right now, at least as a leadership team, than we've ever been since the inception of the church, which is really amazing as a leader of it. I'm, I'm excited about that. But, but in, the, in this process, it's been, you know, we all know we've gone through some gleaning and some pruning, and it's been painful at times. However, when we go through difficult situations, how we respond to that is going to determine whether or not God can bring multiplication and fruitfulness or if we're just going to stay there and just wither away. It's true. But I have good news. As a leadership, we've said we're determined we want to be healthy, we want to get healthy, so that his power would rest on us, you know. And so, so if, you look at, if you look at our patriarchs, this is very interesting. God says to Abraham, he said, I will bless you and multiply you, okay? Then he, says to, then he says to Isaac, he says, I will bless you and multiply you. And then he gets to Jacob now, because Jacob now is coming along, right? And he's next in line. And so then he says to Jacob, I will bless you. But he doesn't say, I will bless you and multiply you. I'm like, that's pretty weird. So I look at the life of Jacob. The name Jacob, what did the name mean? Deceiver, surplanter, uh, you know, one that would lack integrity, you know. So Jacob was concerned about looking good, being right, outwardly being all good and whatnot. I'm not just, you know, ripping on Jacob here for, 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 for any reason at all, other than to say that, guess what? It said, so Jacob, or um, yeah, J- uh, Jacob got to the point where it, where he wrestled with God. And it, and it was like he wrestled and he says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And so there's this wrestling that goes on. It says the angel of the Lord. We know it was the Lord. But the angel of the Lord said, it said, so he touched the hip, his socket in his hip. And so what happened from then on in is Jacob limped, walked with a limp. But guess what? In that wrestling, something took place. There was, there was something that happened. And when, when that whole transaction was going on, that's where his name changed. And so his name changed from being a deceiver. He changed it to Israel, did he not? Yeah. So his name got changed. And so the, the promise and the prophecy that was there way back when Abraham first came on the scene, now it comes down two more generations. And here's Jacob. And he's saying, I, want, I, I bless you, but... I want to multiply you, but I can't multiply you because your ego's in the way. I can't really multiply you because there's some things here going on in your heart. You're a deceiver because you're so concerned about the opinion of man versus what I'm saying over you. And so when he wrestled with him, God touched him, and it, and it was weakness is what it was. But guess what? It didn't stay there. It didn't stay as a wound. Sure, he had a limp and he had a mark, but guess what? Then he says, then God says this. He says, and now I will bless you and multiply you. So the multiplication never came until God dealt with some of the things in his heart and in his life, you see? Just maybe the pain that you're experiencing right now in whatever situation you're in, just maybe God is allowing some things to happen so that 
his power could rest on you so that the pain you're enduring will not compare to the glory. Come on. Okay. So I just thought that was so interesting when I saw that. I'm like, wow, 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 wow. <laughs> Another thing is this. <laughs> yeah, well, you don't know you have a soul until it hurts. <laughs> Anyway, so a couple things here. Three things. Number one is this. Everyone's going to experience this. <clears throat> when we talk about Paul and his scars and all that kind of stuff, like I said, not necessarily, you're not necessarily going to be shipwrecked or car accident or whatever, blah, blah, blah. The point is this, that you're all going to go through things in this life, and uh, God wants to bring you through that and deal with that. The one, probably the first one that we're all going to uh, experience is rejection. And... Um, I just think, you look at the story, and I, I shared on this probably a year ago. If you look at Joseph's story, it's a really good read. If you want to reread it, Genesis 37 to 50, um, the story of Joseph, how he's got this promise that's yes and amen on his life. And he's just like, this is the promise. This is the, this is the promise I'm carrying. And yet, the very thing that happened to Joseph was immediately following this great promise, and he started to share it with his brothers. And you know the story. He gets thrown in the pit. He gets sold into slavery. Then he goes into this, this palace-type scenario, and from there, he gets put in prison. And yet, when he's in prison, God elevates him to the top of the prison, right? And somewhere along the line, you, you never read in the narrative in Genesis, you never read that Joseph got bitter. You never, you never, you never uh, hear him grumbling about the rejection that he experienced. You never hear him talk about any of that stuff. And I think that somewhere along the line, behind the scenes, God dealt with his heart. And he's like, you know what? I can't live in my bitterness. I can't live in my rejection. Your grace is sufficient for me. And so what happened, the story of Joseph, it's wild. He had such a powerful dream, and God took him through this rejection, isolation, through the pit, through slavery, from prison. And he was willing to interpret this dream for another and leave his dream aside to fulfill Pharaoh's dream. That's a big deal, isn't it? Wow. He left his dream aside so he could fulfill Pharaoh's dream. And then when his brothers came to him, only then he realizes that his dream was actually being fulfilled. Isn't that crazy? And, and so he realizes that, you know, it wasn't about Joseph and his dream, but it was about this entire family of his brothers, but yea, verily, even a nation. It was so much bigger than himself. And uh, so Joseph's character, humility, had to be dealt with first before the dream of God could come to pass. And uh, in Genesis 50, verse 20, he says this. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant good in order to bring about this present result. Wow. Come on. So you see this story with Joseph. Like, he, had, he could have had some pretty serious rejection issues, yeah? <laughs> like his own flesh and blood. Whoop. So another, another example is Moses. And so, I mean, we see this many different places, but the one in particular, Moses 17, where um, all the different leaders of the tribes are grumbling against Moses and grumbling against leadership, and uh, Korah being one of them. 
And so Moses talks to the Lord, and the Lord sets it up. And so you know the story, the ground swallows them up. <laughs> and so they're all gone. But there came a point, there came a point where Aaron was going to be raised up then, you know, and Aaron, it says there, it says, take, take the rods. Everyone would take the rod of the, of the leaders of the tribes, would take the rod, write their name on it, and it said, lay it down. And this is so wild because this is like Aaron boasting in his weakness, so to speak. Because he said, I'm going to lay down my authority. I'm not going to beat these people with this rod of authority. I'm God's given authority. I could tell them, come on, get into shape. Come on, you're, you know what I mean? But it says this. It says, lay it down. So it says there in, in, in Numbers chapter 17 how, how he laid down his rod at the low place, and it was his rod that sprouted and bore fruit. Isn't that wild? So in your own life, just think about that for you for a second. I don't, it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from, you've got a level of leadership and authority on your life. Okay? It could be in your family. It could be at your workplace, whatever. But God, I'm a firm believer that every one of us is a leader in some sort. And um, we should be leading someone or some people, and we should also be following someone or some people. And we should, It's like that discipleship. Where's our, where's our sign about discipleship? I don't know where it is. Maybe it's out there. But one and one. It's like I should be being discipled by somebody, but I should also be discipling somebody. So I should be reaching and I should be pulling. Every one of us, you know. And so anyway, but, but what he does is he's got this thing, uh, this going on. And Moses obviously is experiencing not just rejection, but rebellion too. And people are against him. People are against his leadership and everything else. But the way to, to go up in the kingdom is to go low and get down, Right? And so in a, in, a, in a place of weakness, as it were, so that God would raise him up, who he wanted to raise up. And we know the story with Aaron. So anyway, that's one of them. How about this one here? Um, oh, this is a good one here, just to throw in there. Proverbs eighteen twelve. it says this. It says, before destruction, in the heart, a man is haughty, but humility goes before honor. Humility comes before honor. In your job, in your workplace, the high road is the low road, right? In life, in, in, in family, in raising kids, and in, in, even with husbands and wives, in relationships, never mind just husbands and wives. Every one of us has relationships. In our relationships, humility comes before honor. All right. David, let's look at him for a minute. This is, this is great. I just think this is such a cool passage where David, uh, and he's got his mighty men, and so David comes in, he's anointed, he's anointed by the prophet to be king of the nation. And there's this great word over his life, and it's amazing. God found someone after his heart, pursuing his heart. And so what happens then, uh, suddenly from, from coming into this great anointing experience, and, whoa, God's got a great plan for my life, follow the story, then all of a sudden the former king Saul starts chasing him, wanting to kill him. He's rejected completely. In the natural, right? He's rejected. And so what does he do? He actually goes up and he climbs up this dangerous rock climbing scenario where he goes into the cave of Adullam. And while he's in the cave of Adullam, he gathers these men there. And these became David's mighty men. The, the mighty men that were like crazy warriors that would go on and produce such victory and produce, produce such breakthrough in, in the kingdom, in his kingdom. And it says this, so it says that, so David departed from there, 1 Samuel 22. 
and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. So he wasn't just, it wasn't like he was, he escaped, okay? So he was, that, that, that's like a different than he advanced to the cave. He escaped to the cave, right? And escaped to the cave. And when his brothers and all his father's household heard of it, they went down there with him, to him. Everyone who was in distress, everyone was, who was in debt, everyone who was discontented. <laughs> this is his mighty armies that God's putting together. You want guys that are, that are broke, busted, and disgusted. <laughs> you know, People that just don't have it sorted at all. Now that, to me, that mighty, those mighty men sounded like they had a bit of weakness, yeah? These guys that would go on to do so much for God, with God, were in this place of utter just despair, distress, broke, in debt. They were absolutely like rock bottom. But God said, I want my strength to be manifested in your weakness. Come on. Hey, there's hope. Nudge your neighbor and say, there's hope for you. Come on. And then David did this. While this was happening, I want you to, I want you to hear this. When, when he was in this cave, when, when he was in this cave, at that point, in 1 Samuel 22, he wrote this psalm. It was Psalm 142. It says this. At the low point of his life, he said this. He says, I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord, I make my supplication. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare before, before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then you knew my path in the way I, which, in which I should walk. They have secretly set a snare for me. We will enter at the... Oh, sorry, I'm getting into my notes here. Let's keep reading that, though. I want you to keep reading Psalm uh, uh, 142. I cried to you, verse number 5. I cried to you, O Lord, and said to you, you are my refuge, you are my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my loud cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my uh, persecutors, for they're stronger than I. And then something shifts, and he says this. He says, bring my life out of prison, that I may confess and praise and give thanks to your name. The righteous, you will surround me you, and crown themselves because of me. You will deal bountifully with me. So there's a shift that takes place. He doesn't sit there in this distress and whatever, but he decides to turn that very thing that's bothering him. He's like, ah, and he remembers the promise, and he starts declaring that, and he starts speaking that out. And he says, You'll, you're going to deal with me bountifully, because that's what the promise is. Every promise is yes and amen. Every promise is yes and amen. But he's wrestling with this, and we know that David was one who was a heart guy, right? He was a real heart guy. He was a feeler. He was an emotional guy. He had issues, and, and, and yet he was also very quick to repent, wasn't he? Like he was flawed in so many ways, but his heart stayed steadfast to God. His heart stayed soft to God so that his wounds became his scars. It became his testimony, you see? Yeah. Mm. Um, Jesus experienced this. We're talking about this rejection in John chapter 6. Uh, Jesus has this deal going, you know, where he starts getting into the true cost of being a disciple and the true fellowship with him. And he says, he starts talking about eating my flesh and drinking my blood. And in the middle of all this, um, <laughs> he, he, he looks and he, he shares this, you know, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you're not going to, you're not, you have no place in me, you have no part in me. And it says in verse 66, it says, After this, many of his disciples drew back and returned to their own associations, no longer, and they no longer accompanied him. 
That is a mass rejection happening right there. These are people that were following him. He was discipling them. And it got to this point where it was pretty serious. And Jesus stops and he looks. And then he looks to his 12. Because Jesus had the big crowd. He had a large crowd of disciples, several hundred. Then he had his 12. Then he had his three. And then he had his one, right? So there were different levels of, of leadership, as it were, or connection or whatever. And, and in that process... He looks at his 12 now, the, the more tighter-knit leadership core. He looks at him and he says, are you guys going to leave me too? Like the rejection that I just went through here, are, are you going to leave me too? So he dealt with this. Even before the rejection he felt on the cross, my father, my father, why hast thou forsaken me, right? But the good news is, is that Peter stands up and he's like, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? You have the words of life. And I've said this ad nauseum before, but the Jesus, Peter recognized something with Jesus when he spoke. He recognized the discern between how it felt in the natural and what it looked like in the natural to what was happening in his spirit man. When Jesus spoke, his spirit became alive. And so then he was able to say, where am I going to go? You have the words, the rhema of life. In other words, I don't understand what it looks like and I don't even understand exactly what I'm getting into, but I'm willing to follow because when you speak Jesus, my spirit comes alive. I don't need to understand it. I can know it in my knower before I know it in my knower here, you know? And he's like, I, I, I don't understand everything, but what, how, where am I going to go? I mean, come on. This is it. Like, we're, we're in. You know what I'm saying? So Jesus dealt with that. Um, in fact, at one point, even in John chapter 6, you can read about it there. He says, Farther on, Jesus, actually, the Lord speaks to him, and he knows that, he says, um, uh, one of you is the devil. <laughs> In other words, one of my 12. So the, 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 you know, many that left already, now he's got his 12, and he, he's actually, he's like, you know what, one of you is the devil. And, and, then, and then later on, you'll see it at the supper, where the disciples are jostling about this. They're like, is he talking about me? Am I the one that's going to betray him? Am I, is, is it me? And there's this thing that's going on, you know? And so Jesus experienced this in that case there, but praise the Lord, we're all going to experience it. But I have good news. You don't need to stay in the wounding of your rejection because God wants to take the rejection and heal that up so that wounding of rejection becomes a scar of testimony that says, God healed me up. God, I dealt with some things. I had to deal with some heart issues. And as I did that, I was able to come out this other side. So guess what? And the wild thing, too, about a scar is that when a scar is, is, is made, there's scar tissue there, the scar tissue actually becomes, becomes tougher than the original skin that was torn. Isn't that interesting? So my scars become my testimony. So what happens is, as I experience rejection or pain in some sort or whatever it might be, in this case it was rejection, there was something that happened where he, he could experience a healing from that very thing. So he didn't walk in woundedness, but he walked with a scar, which is quite okay. So that the next time somebody comes up and he senses rejection or something from someone, he's like, hey, I got this scar here, this mark here from before. And now I realize that I don't need to experience that whole thing that I went through before. Because guess what? And, 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 and it's like this. It's like, as you're healed more and more, from pains and rejection and that sort of thing, the next time you're rejected by somebody, because it's just, it's, it just happens. Like we all, it all happens, you know. The next time it happens, though, you suddenly realize, wait a minute. And you start to see that person with love in your eyes because you're carrying more of the heart of God because he was bruised and rejected. He was despised. 
Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? So the good news is that we don't need to stay in that. All right. So second thing too, though, is this whole thing of weakness, you know, this, 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 um, uh, there's rejection issues we deal with, but there's also weakness issues we deal with. How many ever have been in a situation where you feel, man, I'm so unqualified for this very thing that I'm in right now? Hold your hand up. <laughs> Put your hand in the air. Wave it around like you just don't care. You know? And that's the beautiful thing about God's dream and plan for our lives. If we want to walk in destiny, we're all going to be put in scenarios where we feel completely unqualified for what we're called to do. It happens to me all the time. I'm like, dear God, help us. <laughs> like, whoa. And so I love how Paul, and we'll go, go back to Paul there. Uh, Paul says this. In fact, when he, came, when he came, this is Paul, okay? Paul's seen many, many mighty things. And he comes to the Corinthians, and he says this in chapter 2, 1 Corinthians 2. When I came to you, brethren, I didn't come with superiority of speech or wisdom, proclaiming to, know, um, uh, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And then later he goes on to say, you know, the, he says that, that um, my strength is made, my weakness is made strong. His, his strength is made strong in my weakness. I boast in my weakness so that his power might rest on me. So Paul had this sorted out, and I don't know if you ever feel like that. I think there's a connection, though, you guys, between... Because we've talked about it here before, I, I really feel that this next thing that God's bringing us into is going to be really significantly like notable signs and wonders and miracles. We talked about it two weeks ago. I think actually Edward might have mentioned something about it last week a little bit. But that, that notable signs and wonders and miracles. Do you remember me saying that before, right? Okay, and we talked about even some of the things that were prophesied out of Toronto years ago. Well, guess what happened this morning then? Out of the blue, a couple came. She was actually very sick. She came this morning because they just wanted prayer for healing. And I had to go out and get a, ba get a bucket because she was so sick, you know. It, we're talking like on the ragged edge here. And I'm going, wow, come on, God, how does that work? They're coming right to the door. Not people that are part of our body regularly or whatever, but for one reason or another, they said, oh, oh, we need to go and we need to receive prayer and ministry from these people. Come on. So that, 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 that it wouldn't be through our great speech and teachings and all these great things and stuff, but it would be a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that people would look and say, that, that guy's a good guy, I know he's a good guy and I like what he says, but that's not what got me. What got me was the power that rested on it. It was the power of God. So that your faith wouldn't rest in some man's words, but your faith would rest in the power of God. Amen. Come on. So I, I'm just here to say, listen, uh, I've experienced loss, I've experienced hurt regarding cancer, regarding different things like this. But I'm not going to stay back in that saying, God, why didn't this happen? I'm going to say, Lord, I want to lay hands on as many cancer patients as I can in Jesus' name. So that his power would rest. And so, so if it means that we need to pray, and if, if I'm believing for absolutely a cancer-free zone, I'm believing that when people would walk in the room, it would like they'd walk in the room even a little bit late, and all of a sudden, whoa, 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 I, I just got healed, you know? But, but that, that doesn't, it doesn't take striving, it takes contending in a sense to say, 
it's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the scar. I'm not going to stay in the woundedness of what didn't happen, but I'm going to stay in the, hey, God healed my heart, and I'm going to trust again. I'm going to believe again. I'm going to actually press in again. I'm going to press in farther, you know. A couple weeks ago, I said, fullness or forget it. That was the message title. And it has to do with that regarding healing. Listen, if we're going to see greater signs, wonders, miracles, guess what? Look at your hands. Hold them out right here. Just hold them out in front of you. These hands are anointed. These hands are anointed and appointed by God. He said, Jesus said that I would lay hands on sick people and they would recover. These hands, these are the hands of a very blessed man. Woo-wee! These are an extension of the kingdom. That as I would lay hands on people, God's power would flow through these hands. These hands. These hands. So I'm not going to let disappointment, rejection, weakness, all that kind of stuff. I'll boast in the fact that, yeah, for sure. But guess what? His power is resting upon me. And so Paul had this connection to be able to say, I'll boast in my weakness so that his power will rest upon me. (laughs) I love it because it takes the pressure off of us, you guys. You know, I was in a meeting one, one recently, and, and this one leader got up and started going on this rant about how they didn't read their Bible enough, and they didn't pray enough and stuff. And I'm going, dear God, oh, I appreciate your honesty, but you just need to get to know my Jesus. <laughs> because it's not about my performance of how much I read my Bible or how much I pray. It's about, oh. Lord, I love you, and you accept me as I am, but you love me too much to keep me as I am. And, it's, and, and, and the power that flows through my life isn't dependent on how many chapters I read this week. It's dependent on my reliance and my trust in you and my obedience and my faith in you. Now, I get it. The closer you grow to the Lord, you're naturally, supernaturally, just going to have a greater hunger for the word. It just happens. It's just the way it is, you know. And you might go through seasons, too. I mean, I go through seasons where Bible reading is a discipline more than it is a delight, you know. And then I go through seasons where it's a delight, where it's just like, oh, I just got, I need more word, I need more. Do you, can anyone relate to that at all? But the deal is, we don't get sh- shame, you know, come under shame and condemnation and all this kind of stuff. No, 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 no. Just step up and step out and step in and go for it. Amen? All right. So, um, how about this one? In John chapter 20, uh, Jesus appears to the disciples. He walks through the wall because they're now in fear. They're, they're, they're scared. They're in fear and they're fearing for their lives. Jesus walks through the wall and he says, peace be unto you. And so they're like, whoa. And something happened. They're like, what? Jesus, yeah. And, and yet, get this. This is kind of cool. Uh, there wasn't a release of the power. Because remember it says that he breathed on them and said receive the Holy Ghost, right? But that came after he showed him his scars. They're like, is this really you? And Jesus is like, yeah, actually, let me show you the scars. Some translations say wounds, but they weren't, they weren't bleeding wounds. They were scars now, Right? So Jesus himself said, here, let me show you my scars. I'm not, I'm, that's not who I am anymore, though. Like, the, like I'm not, the, the, the pain that I endured, now I'm experiencing a glory that shall not be extinguished. Like, you see, I went through something, and it gave me a scar, but it didn't stay like that. 
it, it, the wound came, but it didn't stay like that. And he comes out and he goes, look at, look at my scars. And then, boom, God's power comes and then he sends them out and, you know, the rest. But it's interesting that Jesus could have done this. He could have just, after he re- res- re- was raised from the dead, he could have gone into, into the temple to all the religious leaders and see, guys, I'm back. I told you I was coming back, you bunch of, mm-mm-mm. you know, come on. Like, do you know what I'm saying? He could have just laid it right into them. You bunch of religious leaders. Yeah, look at, look at who has the last word now. Here I am. Right? But he didn't do that. He didn't do that. He still went, in it. he went to his, his, his loved one's relationship. And so he went into them and he just walked into the middle of that room and stirred things up. Right? I think that's cool. It just goes to show you his heart, right? So in that sense, he himself was boasting in weakness, although we know Jesus wasn't weak in that sense. Do you understand what I'm saying? But there was this thing that happened where he's like, I'm not going to do what, you know, I could do. I'm going to do what I should do. And I want to be with my buddies. I want to be with my friends. So anyway. All right. Okay, the last one is this. The, just the fear thing. What time is it? Oh, it's time to quit. Okay, well, we'll get to that one another time, I guess. Yeah, because I do want to have an opportunity to minister here. So the last one is the fear. So we have rejection. We have weakness. And we have fear. These are just some things that I believe God wants to convert from your wounds to your scars so that they can become a testimony. And we'll, we'll continue with that in a little while. Huh. What does Psalm 91 say? It says, 10,000 may fall at my side. Or it says, 1,000 at my right hand. 10,000? 10,000. 1,000. Yeah, 10,000. In other words, thousands upon thousands of people may fall. But like that would give you a pretty skittish, fearful scenario, wouldn't it? All these people are falling around. And then he says, but none will harm you because you've made the Lord your refuge, right? Anyway, that's a whole other one that we can get to. Listen, let's all stand to our feet. By the way, I think you've got the picture by now, but I'll mention this again. One of the ways that you can uh, turn your wounds into scars that can become a testimony is through uh, ministry. One of the tools that we have that I'm so grateful for is the Restoring the Foundations Ministry, the RTF. Uh, it's an amazing ministry, and Claude and Yvonne are heading it up in our region here, and they were out in Saskatoon for the last two weeks helping people there overcome and heal wounds so that they could be scars that would become their testimony. And so th- that's extremely hopeful. That's extremely uh, exciting. And, uh, but this morning, the big thing is, is that Paul said, I will boast in my weakness. I will boast in my weakness. Okay, one more time. I will boast in my weakness. Your power may rest upon me.